Hello, I'm Wayne Park, and welcome to Oikonomics, a podcast about the science of ministry, work, administration, and the summing up of everything. Keep coming back for relevant teachings and talks on these subjects and more. Please enjoy the show. We are continuing our Reflections on Vocation. And today, I'm going to introduce us to a book by Henry Nouwen titled, In the Name of Jesus. Uh, This is a book that uh, has profoundly influenced me in my own vocational formation as a minister and as a disciple of Christ. The one challenge to this book is that it is somewhat dated and not that it's old, but that there has been some new information that has come out recently that has cast a certain light upon this book. So much so that I'd like to begin today's talk firstly with a disclaimer, a disclaimer. And after the disclaimer, secondly, I'd like to talk about this idea of holy. Uh, That's W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. Now we'll get to that in a bit, but first... The disclaimer. I almost struck this book from the syllabus, and I may still do so in the future if a good alternative or replacement comes up. And the reason for this is because there's a specter of scandal looming over it presently, not directly, but rather by a guilt by association. Nowen, who is now deceased, has had no dirt, no scandal dug up about him posthumously or anything like that. However, he was heavily influenced by the Laarche ministry, and in particular by a certain Jean Vanier, uh, who was the founder of the Laarche communities. And there have been recent investigations in 2020 uh, revealing significant sexual abuse that took place at Laarche by Jean Vanier, um, and took place at at his communities. Um, there's no indication that Nowen was involved at all. Uh, the reports and the investigations have not turned up anything like that. So I think Nowen is clear. But the guilt by association is still strong enough. The integrity of Laarish is now so significantly tarnished that reading this book almost makes you really completely question all of the ideals that so inspires Nowen. And this is, this is hard. It's hard for me because the, the, the large community for me was, was a very beautiful community, one that, that I admired a great deal. Jean Vanier was someone who I respected. I've read his writings. And to hear this, it, it's kind of a blow to everything that I've believed about spiritual formation. And for that matter, it's inescapable all throughout this book. I mean, we see it right away in the introduction. Um, Nowen praises Vanier. He says, in the person of Jean Vanier, the founder of the large communities, God said, go and live among the poor in spirit, and they will heal you. I mean, for crying out loud, what do you do with that? So, uh, I, I kind of went back and forth. Should I toss this from the syllabus? Should we not cover it? But as I reread the book, um, I realized that in a proleptic fashion, 
Now, proleptic means anticipating of future events, even if he wasn't aware of it. Uh, in a proleptic fashion, Nouwen's writing actually it, it, it raises the very questions that I have today about how can, how, can spiritual, how can somebody so grounded in spiritual formation like Jean Vanier actually do such a thing? So in that regard, I actually changed my mind and said we should read this book because we're almost reading in double layers. We can read on the surface what he's saying, and it's left alone. It's still very profound, still very important, and still very relevant. But at the same time, it brings up questions, especially as we know what's going to happen um, it brings up more questions than before that I think are all legitimate, that are all good questions, that are essentially the questions of spiritual formation as well as vocation formation. So I've kept the book in, and uh, it, hopefully it will serve for us as a sort of cautionary tale for what can happen even with good spiritual formation. I'm in spiritual formation circles today, left and right. I mean, uh, my ordination to Word and Sacrament and the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination. Uh, that's all we ever talked about. Uh, yeah, we mentioned Vanier and we mentioned many other names and books and resources. And there's a sense that if I receive spiritual direction and do some counseling, and if I practice Lectio Divina and the Prayer of Examine, somehow I will never fail. I will be totally immune to things like moral failure and burnout. Now, There's a lot to say there, but for now, let me just land on two things. First of all, I want to affirm, yes, you absolutely do need spiritual formation to be healthier. We do. So I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We do need spiritual formation. But second, what I do want to say is that spiritual formation needs to be grounded in something more than just Christian mysticism. Spiritual formation needs to be grounded in something more than just Christian mysticism itself. I think that's where the movement went wrong. That's where Jean Vanier took it way too far. I mean, he justified his sexual abuse of some of the young women um, who were serving there um, as a, a sort of pseudo-Christian mysticism. That's, that's, that's spiritual formation unmoored. It's detached from any foundational ethic. Um, it's, it's completely immoral. And it's ironic because Nouwen says, says in page 47, on page 47, he says, for Christian leadership to be truly fruitful in the future, a movement from the moral to the mystical is required. Now, you got to understand the context from where he's coming from. Nouwen is writing this uh, circa, I'm guessing, 70s and 80s. Uh, at least he's writing from that period where uh, strong moral uh, moralism is, is, is not appealing to the future generations, and therefore it's being replaced by this, this interest in Christian mysticism, spiritual formation. It's, it's, it's quite understandable. But today, um, and I think you're going to hear this in my teachings, I would like to call for us a pastoral theology that brings us back from the mystical to the moral, that brings us back to metaphysics, that brings us back to a foundational ethics 
for truly uh, the fountainhead has been shut off. Um, the universals, the, the ideals for which we've stood on have been completely decapitated such that if mysticism is the only thing we can we can hold on to that that we can only be drawn to Christianity for, then it's going to get uh, polluted in in the way that Vanier and uh, Vanier and uh, and and some others practiced at Larche. It was Christ, it was Christian mysticism unmoored. That anticipates um, the second piece that I want to talk about. So that that's the disclaimer right there. The second piece I want to talk about is this word holy, and uh, that's spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, completely holy. When I was in college, I studied at uh, the New School for Social Research, Parsons School of Design. Uh, We had, uh, under the umbrella of the New School for Social Research, our Christian fellowship, which, believe it or not, yes, we actually had a Christian fellowship. At this school, I don't mean to laugh about it. It was just a hard place for for the Christian faith. But our Christian fellowship had dancers. We had um, philosophers. We had writers. We had musicians. And we had graphic designers and artists and painters. And uh, one of of the older brothers in our Christian fellowship, I'll never forget, um, he was an illustrator. He was studying to be an artist, a fine artist, and a graphic designer. And he had a T-shirt that was designed in, uh, in, in only the way that a, a graphic design student could design it. It was elegant, to put it simply. It was typographically perfect. It was the words W-H-O-L-L-Y, and that's it. In, in um, I don't know, it was Garamond or some beautiful typeface or something on a black T-shirt, on Parsons Black. Uh, the only slight aberration to those white letters, holy, were the letters within the, that word holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. You can see that there's another word, H-O-L-Y. And th- those letters were an off gray, enough so that you could notice that holiness and wholeness are interwoven. So can you picture that? You might even need to write this down. W-H-O-L-L-Y contains within it H-O-L-Y. Well, back then, I just thought that that was super cool, and it looked really good. But that message has stuck with me today. Holiness and wholeness are interwoven. We cannot have one without the other. Now, before we get muddled with these two interwoven ideas, let me separate them out and approach them individually, each one at a time. So let's begin with wholeness and talk from that vantage point. Now, one says in pages 67 to 68, I'm just going to read some snippets and, and kind of synthesize it here. He says, It is precisely those who are dedicated to spiritual leadership who are easily subject to very real carnality. When spirituality becomes spiritualization, ministers can separate themselves from their own concrete community and try to deal with their needs by ignoring them or satisfying them in distant or anonymous places. 
When ministers live their ministry mostly in their heads, the body quickly takes revenge by screaming loudly for affection and intimacy. Now I find Nowen's words here to be very true, very accurate, and very prophetic. That we might be uh, very holy in our pursuit of an upright life and a, and, a, and a holiness before the Lord, but at the same time, if this is not pursued with wholeness, whole or healthiness, or a healthy understanding of spirituality, it inevitably leads to the carnality that Nowen talks about. And I don't need to fill in with the anecdotes here. Likely, you probably know some of these stories already of some famous minister or spiritual leader or some Christian who's fallen into some very real scandal, some carnality. In fact, that's kind of the, the, the shadow that hangs over this whole book. You see, spiritual leaders who are not whole or are not healthy, they will not in turn be holy for much longer. So my hope is to catch all of you on the front end, truly, before things blow up, before a big failure occurs, and hopefully in the small ways, in the little things that you have a philosophy, an un, a, a strong foundation, underlying foundation of wholeness, that wholeness is a requisite. It is required. You need to be whole. You need to be healthy in ministry. I remember once speaking with a seminarian. And he was telling me about how he was feeling down. He was feeling a spiritual depression, this dark night of the soul. And then he realized he had missed lunch. <laughs> it's as simple as that sometimes. Self-care. I remember for me as a young spiritual leader, burning myself out, working seven days nonstop, and thinking to myself that it was unspiritual to watch The Simpsons. I mean... That was one of the most novel things for me at that time. I had to slow down. Um, I had to stop. I was burnt out. I was depressed. The ministry had completely fried me. And I learned how to watch TV like a normal person. And I'll tell you, I struggled with it so much because it felt unspiritual to just be sitting at home with a pizza watching TV. I felt like I was supposed to be praying more or something or doing some more spiritual activity, serving the church or out uh, helping the poor. But instead, I was selfishly watching The Simpsons with a pizza at home. I felt so sinful. Perhaps you can hear the gross over-spiritualization that is going on in my thinking there. And um, I'm grateful that I learned some of these things that Nowen talks about, about the essential role of the incarnation in the, in the spiritual leader's formation. Uh, on page 67, he talks about how Christian leaders are called to live the incarnation, that is to say, to live in the body. Now, mind you, the incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation applies to Christ, not so much to us. Uh, it is the doctrine of Christ becoming fully human while at the same time maintaining his full divinity in an ongoing, uninterrupted way. Uh, and yet he was still 
not 99.9% dove pure, but he was 100% human. So in the incarnation, what we have is a God that was completely and fully identified with the physicality and perhaps even the limits of human boundedness and existence and materiality. So this is an important doctrine. It's an important teaching. So here is Christ who is fully human, but for that matter, he ascends into heaven fully human. In a sense, dignifying the human body in the heavenlies. So what we have here is a theology that does not throw away materiality and physicality and embodiedness onto the scrap heap. This is an understanding uh, of the human form, of, of what it means to be human, and it, it dignifies it. It embraces it. And in the same way, we too as Christian leaders are to embrace our physicality, uh, not to the extent where we become um, where we become hedonistic by any means, but at least understanding that we have limits, that it's important for us to become comfortable in our skin as leaders, as ministers of the gospel. And I would dare say even at home in your own materiality. A disembodied spiritualization I totally agree with now and here, it can only eventually lead to a very real carnality. And again, I don't need to and I don't want to tell the stories. Um, some of them are too recent and there's too many of them out there. In the final assessment, what I wish to say is that a spiritual leader who is whole and healthy on average has a longer run in leadership is less prone to scandal and is just going to do a lot better in life simply because they recognize their physicality they recognize their limits they're not afraid of the material and they have the theology to support it they're less inclined to messiah complexes and the codependencies that are contained therein we're going to talk a lot about that in week three of this class but the importance of wholeness in leadership, I think uh, the case has been made. Now, there is a flip side to this, and we've started out talking about whole, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Now I'd like to talk about it from the other vantage point, holy, H-O-L-Y, holy. And here I'd like to read something from uh, the uh, the, uh, from pages 69 to 70 in Nouwen's book that it was actually kind of painful for me to read. Page 69 to 70 says this, Nouwen is saying, I am convinced that priests and ministers, especially those who relate to many anguishing people, need a truly safe place for themselves. They need a place where they can share their deep pain and struggles with people who do not need them but who can guide them ever deeper into the mystery of God's love. I, personally, this is now in talking, have been fortunate in having found such a place in large with a group of friends who pay attention to my own often hidden pains and keep me faithful to my vocation by their gentle criticisms and loving support. 
it pains me to read this because um, it turns out after all that there was a lot that was unholy going on at La Arche. And it, it just breaks my heart. There's, there's a, almost a proleptic irony that's taking place here. It's, it's profound that it was a, a wonderful place of healing. And now one says he was fortunate to have found La Arche. And yet for many, many women, this was actually a, a place of anything but healing. It was a place of profound wounding and sexual and spiritual abuse, really that goes to show that this holistic understanding of spirituality that is based on health and, and mysticism, even health as a paradigm, it cannot alone be the foundation for spiritual leadership. It cannot alone be the foundation. You see, in the case of Vanier, I mean, he was raising his people to spiritual health, and he was using mysticism, uh, pseudo-mysticism, really, to, to validate um, his sexual abuse of women that were working at large. These were not disabled women, mind you. These were um, women workers and, and people who had given themselves over to this great mission. And under this trust, um, he led them on utilizing books like the Song of Solomon, to engage in sexual practices all under the guise of a mystical encounter with Christ. I mean, that's mysticism and spirituality completely unmoored from ethics, from morals, from holiness. It's completely unmoored. And so, yes, indeed, we need to be whole. We need to be healthy. But I want to posit here on the flip side that we also need to be holy, H-O-L-Y. What I'd like to challenge you, students, is to begin working towards recovering a foundational metaphysics for a new vocational theology that has uh, as, a, as an ideal, yes, this holiness and healthiness, but at the same time is firmly grounded on a moral, metaphysical, ethical basis. Because I tell you the truth, without holiness, the whole project fails. We end our lives a wastrel, as was the words of one saint, that it all was a waste. All of the ministry, all of the great work that we did, the running that we did for the Lord was in vain if there, if there was no holiness underneath it all because eventually the truth will out. It will. And whether you are in leadership in the pulpit or the marketplace, I can tell you that if you are not holy, you can expect less than optimal results. That has been my experience. Even worse, if you are whole, but not holy, that would be a travesty, an ultimate mockery of the ministry itself. I'll close with a story. As a seminarian in my, in my late 20s myself, I, I entered in with a good deal of spiritual formation at that point. I had my share of mystical formation. Um, I had learned a lot of the spiritual formation practices, but I entered into seminary not sure if I, if I needed to nor wanted to be holy 
at least according to the rigorous understanding that I had of it. Um, much like St. Augustine, I was saying in my heart, Lord, make me chaste, just not yet. Well, my first class in seminary was taught by uh, the eminent uh, English theologian J.I. Packer. He taught this class called Puritan Theology for Today, which can sound very uptight and rigid. And yet what I learned from him in that class was the beauty of holiness and how it is for all people of God, not just the minister. It's also for the person in the marketplace. It is also for the academic. It is for the homemaker and for every person who goes by the name of Christ. And so in the same fashion that Packer did for me, I would like to exhort you to a life of holiness, a quiet holiness. No one has to notice except the Lord. Live your life in this way, whole and holy. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to learn more, visit us online at www.oikonomics.com. That's O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-K-S dot com.